never done whole parts. They take little tiny pieces. There won't even be a scar. I think I found the problem. Oh, come on, you're the doctor. Everyone, lights out and quiet. Hello, and welcome to the final entry in the Columbia University Film Festival interview series here on the Media Morgue. Once again, we begin our session with a discussion over two films. In one, a divorcee attempts to reconnect with his young daughter in the wake of life-changing news. And in the other, a summertime soiree in the Puerto Rican countryside leads two young men to a surprising revelation. Without further ado, here's Wes to take us in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Media Morgue, where movies come to be examined. I am Wes, and with me is... I'm Justin. I'm Danny. I'm Zach. And today we have two filmmakers behind some really, really great films. Would you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Munir Atallah. I'm the writer of Homing and producer of Homing. Um, and I'm Ricardo Verona. I'm the director of Primos and the director of Homing. Amazing, amazing. Would you guys, uh, Ricardo and then Munir, talk through, uh, give us just a log line about what your film is? I put you on the spot. You guys don't have the log line in front of you. I know this is going to be risky, but could you guys tell us what your film's about? Well, um, you want to start with homing? You, you got this one in the bag. Like, <laughs> I feel like we have the logline memorized. Um, in a rapidly gentrifying Brooklyn neighborhood, uh, a reclusive pigeon breeder uh, has to care for his daughter for a day, but he's blindsided by a revelation that could mean losing her for good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was workshop between Ricardo. <laughs> that was good. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm I'm really bad at writing loglines, so um, I, uh, just off the cuff, um, Primos is kind of like story about teenage sexual confusion. Um, the lead's, char- the, the lead's uh, cousin is sort of secretly seeing his crush, and so it's, you know, a lot of sexy confusion. Now, Ricardo, I want to tell you that I, I ran into Ricardo a few weeks ago getting he- a headshot, um, and I was like, Ricardo, what are you working on? And he was like, you know, there's homing, and he was like, it's a more traditional, you know, father-daughter film. And he's like, and then there's Primos. And, you know... He's like, it's about cousins, and then the cousins are maybe involved sexually, and I was like, oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. So I was looking forward to seeing Primos, maybe, and I was, I was, I was very, I was very excited to see both films, but particularly Primos, uh, and was not disappointed by either of them. Ricardo, where did the 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 germ of the idea for Primos come from? Um, Well, I mean, I, I think it really came from a place where like we compartmentalize a lot of the big formative sexual experiences, especially sexual experiences that we have growing up. And, um, I, you know, I believe sexuality is kind of a spectrum. That's just, like, sort of where I come from. And I think it, it's sort of an exploration of formative um, queer identities. And, you know, I'm actually, a, a, I, or I have been for most of my life, a straight-identifying person. Um, and I think this movie was a way for me to explore that other side of myself that exists and sort of embrace, like, the queer side of my identity um, that I feel that because I was raised in Puerto Rico, very, you know, there's a lot of machismo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think there was like an apprehension to like accepting all the sides of you, even though they're really important. You know, um, there's a dimension that comes from it and that comes from the confusion, um, the identities that you're prescribed versus the identity that you find yourself by stumbling in the dark. So I think that's really where it came from. Um, and I felt like it was really identifiable when I started writing it. I think a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I kind of had like, Something like that happened, I guess. You know. 
Oof. Careful, careful, everyone. You don't need to. People watch a movie sometimes and then feel the need to confess uh, things that they don't need to. There's going to be comments under this video that's like, I too. And it's like, nope. Stop, stop, No stop. need, no need, no need to tell us. Uh, well, these are, these are um, I enjoyed both of these. I think that while they are um, different in their subject matter, they both clearly come from the same type of storyteller. Uh, when I was watching Homing, I was reminded of like Sean Baker's stuff, like the Florida Project is really what I thought of. And then um, uh, Primos is, is, I can't think of an immediate comparison for that, but- It's like I, Corone. It feels very crony. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I loved the, yeah. I loved the, um, the, just the fact that it was subtitled and that it's t almost entirely in Spanish. I think that adds a really nice dimension to the film festival overall. I mean, so especially, it helps, I think, to broaden the palette of the festival. So was that, um, I assume it was an intentional choice to make the film Spanish language. How was the casting for that? Did you have to highlight, like, we need people who are fluent in Spanish? Did you cast people uh, from Puerto Rico, or did you, how did that work? Yeah, and like, I, I, and I think you're totally right about the approach to both homing and primos. Like, I think that um, with homing, I'll, I'll speak on homing first. With homing, it was really important for us to look within the community and within the outside of the community and bring them into the movie and have that sort of docu-feel to it and make it feel authentic. That was like super important from the very beginning. And, and when it came to casting, um, we were, you know, we had some ideas, some of them m m like sort of shifted and fused into other new things and different things as we started seeing um, different people come in and how they interacted. like. Tiago, like how he interacted with the community, he fit like sort of right in. Um, so that was really important for us to homing. And I think that same philosophy extended to Primos. Like I think, Frank, I'm, I'm gonna be really straight up here, but like um, within Colombia, right? Within the Colombia filmmaking ecosystem, um, you know, I'm, I, I find myself, like I'm Puerto Rican, you know, like I, I come in here as an outsider. I'm one year, I feel like you have that same experience. And for me, it was a very big thing that I was like, hey, I shot my previous film in Puerto Rico, but I brought a bunch of people from Colombia that did not share the lived experience of being Puerto Rican, middle class, et cetera, et cetera. Very talented and lovely people, and I, and I really loved that, but a lot of them didn't even speak Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. And so for Primos, it was really important to not only cast within the community, which I, I usually do, we, we usually, like, I think that's an approach that we have really in common, um, but it was also like from a crew perspective mm -hmm. to bring in people that spoke Spanish and had um, a lot of different e either racial identities or um, sexualities, et cetera, et cetera, to feel like there's always someone that can check you when you're telling your story um, because I think that's really, really an important part of um, choosing collaborators. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Any uh, other further insight on that, Munir, about the casting process, especially from a producerial standpoint? Yeah, before beginning with the casting process, we, we knew we wanted to get into this pigeon breeding community. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had already sort of established trust and relationships, but uh, we, we knew we wanted to cast some people from that community mm -hmm. in some of the roles. Um, the, so, you know, we, we basically established relationships with uh, the auctioneer, for example, as somebody who nobody could play that role because it's just such a bizarre and unique yeah. like yeah. you know yeah. cadence and everything that you this have guy to have has done it in order to <laughs> do it a pigeon yeah. auctioneer exactly <laughs> done it like a billion times you know so that was really fun but we also you know sometimes i think people get too much on the oh non actors and whatever like no well, we 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 are filmmakers cuz we want to work with actors too and ricardo is, is so good at working with actors and bringing out the best in them so um, we also did a lot of work just getting that the leads who we cast 
into the community uh, to get them sort of versed in even the mechanics of like handling pigeons and stuff because that was also a big part of the film and you know the first time we were up on the rooftop like one of the guys was like yeah it looks like you've never held a pigeon before in your life and I was like nice. I'm doing it just like you <laughs> so he's like no so uh, you know Tiago the, the lead actor in Helming was uh, very intentional he spent a lot of weekends just like coming through to the roof and just hanging out and and learning to you know that's awesome wrangle birds in terms of like flying the pigeons and stuff like what was that process like what like how much did he train for that like how did he come to do that yeah i mean all of our stunts were like practical because yeah we were (laughs) this was an extremely low budget film uh and so we did everything sort of on location where we were on a rooftop that actually had like a thousand pigeons on Mm -hmm. it uh, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a delicate situation because we're on this rooftop where somebody actually, this is his life's work, you know, yeah. and he cares deeply about this and uh, invests so much time and resources into this. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that we were doing it in a way that wouldn't endanger any of the birds, right? Mm-hmm. Like we wanted an animal cruelty free set. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, think that, I think that we achieved that. I don't know, Ricardo, would you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I mean, everything was practical, and everything was really influenced, like, Munir and I, this, this was a little bit of a different experience, because, like, I was coming into a world, like, I, I write usually about stuff that's very close to me and my, my lived experiences, but with Munir, he had he had some experience with this community before, so he had already a good sense that he had written the script long before we, we started collaborating, um, and so I was sort of introduced to the world, and we were watching together the things we were like, oh, this belongs on camera we can and and we were looking from a practical perspective too like the flying of the pigeons it's like you know they they took out this pole of like garbage bags and they would just fly the pigeons around they would always come back like they trained them yeah but um we knew that we could um replicate that so there's always a logistical aspect that i feel like is not as sexy demystifying the movie but i'm like yeah you gotta have to think about it what a closing moment i mean i mean it's such like a malikian shot you know the the way malik kind of manipulates nature in such a visually poetic way that how he's framed against the blue of the sky and then the hordes of the the birds kind of swirling around him as he waves the the pole in the air. I mean, I was kind of taken aback by those closing visuals. Yeah, and the way we shot those was kind of Malikian because we were like, Cool. Now we're just gonna roll on it, and then we're just mm-hmm. gonna run around, and you're just gonna chase the pigeons, and, and then we're gonna. Some people want to walk off set, you know? Like, yeah, straight up. That's cool. Straight up, and um, and that was always, you know, we had other moments planned, and we were really flexible. We we had a there was a whole ending shot that we were like that was in the script was shotless and everything. I was like, okay, we knew that the birds come down after you chase them, so there was gonna be this idea where he would chase off the birds like in in a rage. But the birds would come to back down yeah, to yeah. him, um, and we're like, "Yeah, that's you know that feels right." He, mm-hmm. Now he's trying to push back the one thing that's he's really passionate about. It's a little heady, but um, yeah. when we were there, and we were shooting. We we're just like, "We really don't need that. Like, <laughs> this is good enough." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's always a, a fun surprise on set, right? Like where you have something written and you see the actors on set, and then you go, "Oh wow, they're doing the work." that I sat in my boxers and wrote this script and didn't realize <laughs> that they would need, they would need this. Um, I, I have a question about both of these movies. I was just wondering, because I, I, I'm familiar with both of your work, um, and these movies look completely different than anything I've seen from you guys up to this point, and I was just wondering if you had visual references that you were pulling from for Homing and from uh, Primos. I mean, I... Home, like... And this is like a again, this is like pulling back the curtain. Um, I feel like 
there's a lot of flexibility in movies. You make some decisions early on, like sometimes you make decisions over glass and you make decisions about format and stuff like that. Um, but we made, like, we just knew, we had just made decisions about it feeling docu-style, right? Like we were really, early on, we were like, we want it to feel authentic. We want to, we want to make it feel like you know, fly on the wally at times and, and have a little other moments of like a little, that feels a little more like, not magical, but like a little more like, I don't know, like not quirky, I guess, but like, yeah, like a little more sweet and intimate. Um, but we didn't really make big decisions in pre-production, for example, about aesthetics. Like, I, I think there was a lot of those. I mean, obviously, there was production design conversations, and we had a lot of those um, insofar as they related to character and the extension of character and locations and whatever. But um, in terms of, like, the look and feel of the movie, like, it came in late. Like, we we went to this really amazing colorist, um, and the, the film always felt, in a way, like, that it could belong in a film universe, like, right, shot on film. And frankly, like, I'm <laughs> maybe controversial, but, like, I'm... Back in the day, like people used to go like, well, you shoot digital and there's nothing that's gonna really make it feel like film. But like these days, like you can we simulated gate wobble on it. You okay. know, like you you have dynamic green. Oh, like yeah. it's super crazy what yeah. you can do. And it felt right for the movie. Like honestly, like you there's a thing, right? Like I feel like when you go to assembly, like you wanna cry, um, and then you start like building it and building and building, oh, okay, maybe like I'm not like a freaking hack. And then, <laughs> and then when you get to color, like the movie gets revitalized, and when you yeah. get to the mix as well. Oh, and the it, mix, the mix will save the movie. Man. Yeah, totally. And so, like when we got to color, it was like saying, like, "Whoa, what's up? It's spicy again." <laughs> you know, like um, especially when you're seeing it so much. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it came in later, and it's it's a really collaborative process, especially like the way that I approach directing. Like I like bouncing ideas a lot off of my collaborators. And like Munir as a writer, like was very intimately associated with the story. So we were there really like shoulder to shoulder every step of the way, yeah. Oh, and for Primos, so for Primos, the one of the biggest aesthetic decisions was that like we were gonna shoot on an Alexa mini large format camera. Uh. And we're like kind of into open gate. It's not exactly four by three or, but, but it felt cool and interesting and it felt nostalgic and it felt like thematically it went with it. Um, and we actually did have a LUT that we shot with um, during production that we're like, okay, this feels gotcha. totally, totally right. It was, it was like a sun-kissed almost. Totally. Yeah, feeling to the... To the and and it wanted, we wanted it to feel, again, like nostalgic, wanted it to feel like a road movie. Obviously, like I think a lot of people bring up the Itumata being inspiration, super um, big inspiration for the movie. I, I mean, that's like, that's like being compared to The Godfather. Like, congratulations. Yeah. Like. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I, I think between these two, and this is just me on the outside looking at them, um, we've talked a lot as we've been doing these uh, about, you know, the, the difference in construction between a short film and a feature, obviously, and not just like the length, but also what is the, what is the goal of each. Outside looking in, it seems to me that Primos has a lot more life in it. There is room for expansion, whether you're staying in that summer, whether you're visiting these two years from then and they're reflecting on what happened. If, almost like a moonlight situation. I'm, I'm curious whether uh, that has been part of the conversation. If You don't have to reveal it, whether or not it has been. <laughs> or if you want to give us a scoop, you can. Yeah. Uh, the, the exclusive scoop. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, I've, I've gotten a lot from my work um, that it sometimes feel, feels feature-like in scope. Um, my last short film, like I, I got that a lot as well, and you know I could see, but it. not. Sorry to interrupt you. Not at least for me. Like it, I was overwhelmed by. Like it didn't feel like you were trying to cram a story into fifteen or twenty minutes. It felt like 
there's, this is a taste of something more, which I, which is dope. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've, I've gotten that before. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of funny because it's like a blessing and a curse. I'm like, oh, great. So like someone from the outside looking in might be like, oh, this person might be ready to direct a feature, right? Um, but it's also like, it, it is contained, you know? And like, I think Primos could be a part of a feature, mm -hmm. you know, a larger coming of age where there's a significant event that happens. Um, and the same with like the last road that I worked on. But um, I don't know, you know, I, I think of them as moments in time and not really as smaller pieces of a larger story. I just think that somehow, like, my storytelling tends to pace itself, um, like, as a feature in a lot of ways. Um, feature pacing, I suppose. It, it does feel immense. I, I agree with you, Justin, in that way. It does feel kind of like the movie, in homing as well. Like, it feels like if you were to peel back the layers of the movie, it, it would be all the way back and all the way forward. You could sure. See, like, could see yeah, there's, there's definitely things you could do with homing where it's like, about him trying to get his life together so he could be with his daughter or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, uh, Primos to me, I don't know if it's just because of how many characters there were, how how alive each of the characters were, but I was like, I wanted to see more of mm -hmm. that. Yeah, 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 totally. And and I see that. I, I think um, it is funny because I think homing Primos like is a short period of time, and homing is too really like in, in terms of real time. But I feel like homing scale feels like more time passes. Um, like in the midpoint of the movie like or something. through it, yeah. Yeah, and, and, um, and, and in, a, in a way where Primos doesn't, right? Like Primos really happens over the span of a, the course of a day. Um, so I think that's sometimes what makes it feel that way too, where it's like, it feels like, oh, I'm just in this little small moment in time. Like, I want to see what happens in other places where I feel like in some ways, um, and I'm not saying these are like strengths or weaknesses, I'm saying just like that these are the different approaches of the movies and the writing, but like homing feels more contained in a way where it's like, I'm picking up a larger story in a shorter period of time. And the thing is, like, frankly, even though Homing takes a span of a longer period of time, it's a shorter movie. Yeah. It's a shorter movie. Yeah. 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 So at the, at the Media Morgue, something we do is we take an older movie and we take a more contemporary movie and we put them next to each other and we see uh, how they complement or fight against each other. Uh, so I'm asking you guys uh, if Primos, Homing, and a third movie, we're all playing at the Metrograph together, and you could pick the third movie, what would it be? Or if you could pick a movie for each of them. Or if you could pick a movie for each of them. Wow. We've good. certainly dropped a lot of references yeah. throughout. Ignore <laughs> We've us. you a lot of bones, but, yeah. It's tough. I mean, there's, I don't know. Would it, just one that would be an interesting kind of... Like, like Primos plays first, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. you come out, and you're like, hi, I'm Munir. Here's this <laughs> other movie that's here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, damn, that's a good question. For homing. I mean, I've, I've thought of homing in sort of the way, the, the way that like some Iranian cinema kind of blurs mm. the lines between era, like fiction and documentary. Mm -hmm. So it'd be cool to have like a Kiarostami film or something. Uh, like that. Uh, what a good answer. <laughs> I love uh, Taste of Cherry is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful work. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, that's so hard. Um, you know, in the best of, in the, in the, in the like most aspirational way, like it would play with something like Moonlight, where it's like you see sure. two sort of coming of age stories of different but similar backgrounds um, in like these spaces that are again 
similar yet different, right? Like you, you have like your South Florida versus like Puerto Rico. It's all the extended Caribbean. Yeah, it's exactly. all kind of the Caribbean. Exactly. You know, and um, <laughs> and and it's funny because you know, like actually, Primos originally, and when you you read this early on, and it's just sometimes what happens with casting, like. Um, Primos originally like started like I wanted um, Cristobal to be Afro-Caribbean mm. because I thought that there was and Cristobal like Christopher Columbus Cristobal Colón um, because like oh, I smart. I, I was very that. into there was like the whole dying of the hair thing which is like the, the, the very first scene I was like this is all about like playing whiteness and like it's sure. something that you don't really realize and when you're in some, somewhere like Puerto Rico where we have like this really long tradition of like assimilation yeah. I was really and I'm still really interested in bringing that into my work with the casting it just so happened that I couldn't find like an actor that but was it's there with your actress this idea that she's kind of this um, trophy for these two white boys totally. that are kind of and they don't really think about her as a person. They're like, hey, are you sleeping with her? And he's like, yeah, well, fuck it, you know, she's there, you know, and she's just there not even allowed to be a person. So I think it right. is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is definitely some of the dynamics there for sure. And like, um, but but yeah, like either way, I guess my point really is to say that they, all they, these movies like sort of deal with that, like this crux of identity where you're within marginalized groups and there's still like a, a, a tug and pull. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would love that. That would be a cool Moonlight. Yeah. We'll take Moonlight. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the, those movies are so different, you know, the Kiarostami and Moonlight, whereas I feel like these two films are kind of more alike than they are dissimilar. Yeah. Uh, whereas one deals with like paternal estrangement and the other is, you know, the kind of an incestuous cousin relationship mm-hmm. there, both ultimately about family members who are kind of trying to look out for each other. Yeah. And they, you know, the recommendations here kind of grow outward into territory that that is so dissimilar and and it's funny i mean was that kind of a happy accident or did you even was that even conscious when you had these movies playing together well i mean i'll say like when i had this script i i had seen some of ricardo's previous work which also i think very tenderly deals with intimate family matters uh you know he's worked with minors before Mm -hmm. Uh, there's always sort of this undercurrent of societal issues but they don't overpower or like do it in an overly performative way I feel so like it was very intentional I was like Ricardo needs to direct this film you know Uh, and uh, so I was so excited to get to work with him we actually met in the context of like he was uh, sort of a writing teacher for me throughout the Columbia program and uh, yeah so you know we there was definitely he helped develop the script and uh, it was awesome to just be able to collab like that so no there's on, on the homing's part, definitely it was an intentional choice. Um, totally. And yeah, you see the Ricardo DNA for oh, yeah. sure, sure in, in those definitely. films. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that's so true. Like we, we had a lot of conversations. Like one of the big things was like, well, Munir was writing. Um, you know, we we still had like we're very. It was very much a director writer collaboration, but we talked so much during the script um, development part and had really. Like I talked about the things that excited me, I talked about the things that I felt like were really working, the things that I felt like we could change up, and they were always very in-depth conversations, very mindful conversations. And like I'm very much about uh, love and cruelty in the way that like, you know, I, I come from a single parent household, yeah, and too. I felt that like growing up it was like you don't hurt people on purpose, you know. Sometimes you're just like trying to figure yourself out, and you hurt people. And a lot of times it comes from love, and I like that sort of clash. And I think Primos has that. I think Homing has that too, where it's like. You hurt the people you love and not on purpose, but because you love them. Gentlemen, thank, thank you, you so much for coming thank you. in today. Thank you. Listen, for you guys us. know I'm a big fans of your work. Please, please, please pack the theater for these two films. They're really, really exciting films. And when these guys are making 
Moonlight at for eight twenty four, like you'll have wished you had seen it. So, thank you guys so much. Thank you, fellas. Thank you so much. In our next film, sport and sexual identity collide as two young women on a soccer team realize their friendship may be more than just that. Angeline, would you introduce yourself and your film? Yeah, of course. I'm Angeline Joelle DeMombro. Um, I'm a screenwriter graduating this year, and my thesis film is Steal the Bacon. Um, it's a queer soccer film with heart and hurt, I guess. <laughs> Angeline, I feel like I, I have a unique opportunity out of anyone who's seen this movie so far because I've read the full version. Yes, you and have. And I've read, oh. mm-hmm. and I've seen the proof of concept. And I will say that the feature is one of the better features I've read on Columbia, and I'm not just saying Aww. it's very, very good. No, that means um, a lot. <laughs> but I, you know, I think I think one of the, having read a lot of your work, Angelie, one of the things that is really interesting to me is you always find a way um, to identify with teenage girls specifically, and, and try to like bring the viewer down to their level, and and really have them engage with them as. Mm. as human beings, which I don't think often happens. And I was wondering, Steal the Bacon feels like the most developed version of that idea, and where did the idea, where did the idea for this specific one come from? Yeah, um, I think it started with like capturing that feeling of like the turbulence of adolescence mm-hmm. and all of the messy, wonderful things that happen. Um, and I really wanted to like zoom in on a moment where, you know, you, you take a step closer to who you're becoming, but then you end up like running in the opposite direction just because that felt truer to me in my experience. Um, I love, you know, coming of age movies where like they learn a lesson or like, you know, they're better than they are at the start, Mm -hmm. but just like me personally, it took a longer than that, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's something that I wanted to honor, like the, the uglier bits Mm -hmm. I think of that experience, which are, I think just as important now. Please stop me if I'm wrong here, but <laughs> I know we have a shared love for this this movie. Saw so a bit of Water Lilies influence in oh, this movie. Yes. <laughs> Just an amazing film. My still my favorite film by that filmmaker. Um, were there any other movies that influenced you while you were making this movie that you were thinking about? Oh, definitely. And and Water Lilies was definitely like Great. a cornerstone of right. like the wonderful film. Just watched like four times oh in one week. Oh my gosh. It's very rewatchable. Yeah. It's it's so good. Um but yeah, it was definitely in there around like Bend it like Beckham, of course, which like (laughs) as a soccer nut growing up, like I lived and breathed that movie for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, Also like uh, Mosquita Imari, which Mm -hmm. is like a 2010s film, Mm -hmm. again, about like female friendship and when it becomes more and how you like navigate that. Um, Also a bit of like Sella in the Spades of just like heightened you know, emotions and just like, what is it, what does that look like when, mm-hmm. when like the volume is turned all the way up on, oh, yeah. on stuff. We're fans of that movie. Yeah. yeah. Love that so movie. A previous review on the show. <laughs> One of our first space. actually. Yeah. But, yeah. um, I, I think that's what you've just mentioned is, uh, definitely like a, a touchstone of coming of age stuff in general. Like there is, I think we all, even though we're in our 20 somethings, at least, uh, we, we all know that like, when we were younger, there was a sense that everything that was happening was the worst or best thing ever, right? Like everything, yes. Everything Correct, yeah. is heightened. <laughs> yeah. yes. So like you, like, like when your, your parents are telling you like things will get better, you're like, I don't want to 
hear that even yeah. though like yeah. you're yeah. 16 they're in their 40s they've yeah. been through real stuff yeah. to you it feels real and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. even with something like say on the spade which even has like even the text the language is heightened in that yeah movie. um but i think having the emotional um ramp up is uh, definitely warranted. So, and I, and I think you captured that quite well. Mm-hmm. And this also, Zach revealed to me that we went to high school with one yeah. of your actresses, Lily Ganser. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, I think, a couple years uh, ahead of us, and I don't think she. That's I don't know amazing. If she know who any of us are, <laughs> but I recognize her. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lily yeah. is phenomenal. I love her. Yeah, and that actually goes into my question, which was, I mean, the chemistry between those two oh, leads is Zach. incredible. I'm sorry. I picked <laughs> it's that fine, it's fine. I'm going to keep taking it from you. Yeah, the chemistry is is amazing between the two of them, and I was just like wondering, um, you know, like if that was if that was immediate, if there was a process to getting them to that place where they really did feel like these close friends that were maybe moving into, you know, unexplored territory before. Yeah. No, I was, I mean, I was blown away by both of them and was so lucky to work with both of them. And like, you know, of course they had like, they had a magic thing that like I had nothing to do with, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think it helped that like when we were first starting to rehearse, um, like the first rehearsal we had, we literally all met up at a soccer field here in the city and we didn't even really focus that much on the script or anything but I literally I you know we were all (laughs) dressed for soccer we just messed around with the ball and just had a good time and I think that helped Mm -hmm. break through that like you know like kind of initial awkwardness or you know you're kind of finding your feet a little bit because if you have to you know, shoot on net or pass a ball or do something physical, it like takes your mind off of all of that, which I found very helpful to kind of get into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's basically the same question, but, um, Oh, it's going to be better. Chemistry. (laughs) Chemistry is interesting because while it seems like these are two people who've known each other for the longest time, there's always something that they're like not saying, Mm. you know, and, and maybe in the most intimate of settings, they're still kind of shying away until, you know, whatever is simmering, uh, reaches its breaking point. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to remark on how dynamic I found that chemistry to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was really the takeaway from this. I mean, no, well, <laughs> uh, I, I just wanted to congratulate you on that. This really isn't even a question. I, I thought the, the chemistry was very dynamic. Oh, no, I really appreciate that. That means yeah. a lot. And if I may, I think even the, the framing device of, uh, like, soccer, mm. if, if this isn't too... Uh, it feels like, especially when you open the movie with them, like in a match, mm-hmm. like you're all you're automatically setting up that like there's something that one of them wants, or there's some interference. You know, mm-hmm. all those like things that are part of sport yeah. and part of the game. They are playing a game with each other in a way. Um, and I think your other actress, um, whose name escapes me, the one who isn't really uh, Miranda. Miranda, yeah, um, definitely does a good job of being frustratingly opaque yeah. as to what her yeah. her, uh, her desires are. Yeah. Yeah. Can't tell anything. It's tough. It's tough. We yeah. we didn't uh, we didn't talk about this with um, uh, Primos, but there is like we do have a theme of like teenager movies today. Today and 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 there is a moment in that film where like one character leans in to kiss another, and that character asks, "What are you doing?" And it's like, oh, yeah. I just want to pull your chest out. But yeah. this this there is a there's this one is almost worse because like. <laughs> Something does happen, yeah. and then afterwards, it's as though it didn't, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, I'm even sure. Even worse. Even worse. <laughs> it makes you think you're crazy. Exactly. 
Yeah. 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 Just totally minimizing what Mm -hmm. happened. It's not real. It's not the real thing that can exist for her. And like, you're silly. Yeah, feels good. And also, Danielle is in the background of that shot. She is. right in the background. Danielle Duget? Yes. Danielle Duget is. She, so her head is bobbing in the crowd. <laughs> She's nice. one of our party goers, yeah. you know. Oh, my I little saw it and I was like, I saw the tip of her glasses. Like that's Danielle. <laughs> she was off to the side. She was the lovely AD on this project, and oh, she was good. off to the side. And we're like, mm, we need a couple, maybe more people. <laughs> Danielle's like, I'm on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jumped in. Uh, a friend of the show. I had a yeah, a very good friend of the show. Um, Angela, I had a question about. Um, and you can cut this out when this script gets picked up by Searchlight or something. <laughs> but I know in the I know in the feature, um, our two leads start off on the on the back foot with each other, and they're they're not quite friends. At least yeah. the version I read, they're not quite friends yet. And the journey of the film is them realizing they like each other, and then maybe more than like each other. Yeah. What was Ooh. the uh, decision in the film to start the film with them kind of um, already friendly with each other, and then exploring what comes after that? Yeah. I think I think it's because I knew the ending of the short for sure. I knew I wanted to end with that tackle and just, you know, that moment that feels like you can't come back from it. And I felt like I just kind of tried to reverse engineer where we had to start because of that. Mm-hmm. It felt like too much ground to cover if they, you know, she had to kind of join this team and yeah. X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it was yeah. like, no, they're already on the team. Yeah. They're already at this precipice. Let's cross the line, mm-hmm. kind of use that as a midpoint almost, yeah. and then see what happens after. I like so that. I try, so it is different than the feature to mm-hmm. get to that ending, mm-hmm. basically. But it's the same universe. Like it feels yes, like very, very similar. Very um, and then there, there's that great shot that you have where it's, almost like a one take it through the mirror mm. and it's their mm. first kiss and yeah. it's their, their body just awkwardly moving in the frame mm. so that the kiss isn't even fully framed correctly and it, and it really I mean it made me definitely think of times in high school and then almost I, immediately it's like it, it didn't happen yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> yeah. So cool. yeah. Yeah. just immediate yeah. Yeah. it was a little bit of carry in there yeah I thought it turned into a psycho thriller yeah it was, well, like, it's oh, for, didn't, it was a real none of it she's not real <laughs> for a second there it was Carrie where she like She's like, oh, I, I got the thing I want, and then the blood drops. Yeah. Over. She's like, ah, yeah. I gotta blow up this, ho- this uh, high school. Hospital. Hospital. <laughs> oh, high school. Whoa. Went you straight to the worst one. <laughs> Angeline, we have a, um, I don't know if you've ever listened to the show, there, we, have a, we have a thing we do where we take a new film and an old film and we put them together and see if they complement each other. Yes. And uh, we were wondering if you were playing Steal the Bacon somewhere and you could pick another movie to go with it, what would it be? I mean, we've already talked about Water Lilies yeah. a bit. It, it can but, be Water Lilies. But I, I, you can program a whole you know, slate if I you really would, want. If I could. I think I would have to go with Bend it like Beckham, though, because I, I hope it delivers on like the gay that we were robbed of in that yeah. film. <laughs> that is like so obviously simmering under that's, the surface. That's fair. That's fair <laughs> enough. You know what I just thought of? What was that? Um, there was like a roller derby movie that came out. Oh, Whip It. Oh, Whip It. Yeah. With Elliot Page. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I never saw it, but that yeah. is now at the forefront yes. of my mind too. Just yes. Like rough and tumble women's sports and and, and Elliot how Page that. like invented a genre of just <laughs> disaffected teens yeah. walking through life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Angeline, thanks so much. Angeline, of thank course. you, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey. hey. <laughs> Last but not least, a young woman's night unravels into a labyrinth of ex-lovers and past regrets as she desperately attempts to escape a house party.
Could you introduce yourself and your film? Sure. Um, I'm Celine Sutter, the director of Well, I Should Get Going. Great, great, great. And what's uh, Well, I Should Get Going about? Um, it's about this girl, Mariah, who is desperate to leave a party, mm-hmm. and she can't seem to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember when I was putting together the uh, cuff descriptions, I think, well, I should get going, had like a one sentence. Yeah. It's like, girl wants to leave party, she cannot. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, I know I know you directed it, and I know this is actually an idea that Yoko has been kicking around for a minute, and I was trying to find a director, and very happy that, that she found you. Um what, what's been your journey with this film, like from top to bottom? What's, can you walk us through how you started? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm very lucky that Yoko is an incredible collaborator um, and also a deep friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we laugh so much together. Mm-hmm. And um, she approached me in, in maybe like mid-November mm-hmm. for a shoot uh, for January. And we just kind of put it in torque mode. And yeah, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it started as an idea of an interactive piece mm-hmm. um, where she wanted to have multiple directors direct different points of view of different party goers. Wow. And so how the same night can have so many different iterations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of narrowed in on, on this one girl, Mariah. And it comes from her own experiences of trying to get out of a party and around every corner is an ex or, mm-hmm. you know, an enemy or, or something. And... Um, And so we worked on the script and we were just like, what kind of what is the core of this character? Mm -hmm. I think Yoko brought everything. She brought the circumstance. She brought the character. But I was like, you know, why does Mariah want to leave? Like, what really is that? Mm -hmm. And what's prohibiting her? And I think that pretty early on, we found um, this idea of like kind of fibbing or like lying Mm -hmm. and getting caught in your own webs, like Mm -hmm. sticky webbing Mm -hmm. and how, you know, you say one lie and then you have to you have to keep that lie. Mm-hmm. And so it became like a, a night of blunders in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and that way it kind of feels, I mean, I told Yoko this, it feels very much like at home in the 2000s teen comedy yeah. mold, yeah. even in the way you guys mm-hmm. shot it. Is there, you know, references you guys had when you were shooting? Because it looks, and I've said this a lot, but I think it's because the movies we've been interviewing do look so different. This one just has a completely different look uh, from any other company, even down to like the title cards look different. So what was yeah. your, what was, did you have any references? What was your approach? Yeah, um, when it came to, I mean, I've never directed a comedy before. Um, so I was very excited for this exercise. So I was like, okay, I think I'm funny, but like <laughs> that doesn't translate. That almost means nothing. So we started talking to uh, our DP, Hill Stedman, who's very talented and we were like, let's make Euphoria, but shitty and funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Euphoria, but they're real people. <laughs> um, so they're not glamorous, and um, they're just kind of muddling. And uh, early on, Hill was like, I really see this on Steadicam. I see a lot of this on Steadicam. And then like locked off into these... Um, unmoving, you know, tripod shots mm. to kind of crash in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like and, we, you're, and you're stuck. Yes, yeah, like yeah. you're getting pulled from room to room mm-hmm. and then it's like, ugh, you have to like wait in these mm-hmm. really awkward situations. So, um, yeah, we kind of talked about what does that float feel like, that pulling and that going. Every scene we were like, how do we push Mariah out of this room and towards something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really important to have a, a pull and a push. Um, and I think that came across in the filming, just kind of, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a great setup. Uh, it's funny because just the day before I watched your film, um, this is so anecdotal, there's a YouTuber I follow, Cody Ko, 
who's kind of popular. He used to be a Vine guy, and now he's big on YouTube. He collaborated with some other dudes to make this sketch called Trapped, where the entire conceit is a bunch of 20 or 30-somethings at a party. One guy goes into a room to charge his phone, and then the dude that no one wants to talk to is behind him and, and traps him suddenly in conversation and he keeps trying to get out and then they do like a sunken place thing where he can't escape the conversation unless someone else takes, you know what I mean? Um, so it's very uh, uh, heightened in that sense. But I, I think uh, you achieve something similar. Um, uh, you and Yoko, the writer um, and producer, achieve something similar in this, which is just like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to be here. I don't want to be here. This was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I also love the... Uh, and I assume this is more of a writer's choice, but, you know, identifying pretty much everyone by their costume or their character. Mm-hmm. So you have B and Cat uh, um, uh, and all that. I think Cat, I didn't even catch at first because that can be someone's or, nickname. Yeah, yeah. And then I realized, oh, she's wearing a cat costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was this a movie that was, to your knowledge, like heavily scripted and word perfect or was there any improvisational room? Yeah, I mean, Yoko's a great writer, and I have to give that to her. So we did, definitely, we worked on that together and just kind of ballparked. But off of the names, you know, the conceit of that is, uh, I think that that came from Yoko of, like, when I'm at a party, it's like everyone, they think they have a definition of you, and it's just never you. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, let's have all of our characters be what their names are. Mm -hmm. Be, Dove, Cat, Mm -hmm. and then Mariah no one knows what she is. They're like, are you Steve Dot? Like, right. who are you? Um, and she doesn't know herself. So kind yeah. of like, how can we just put that in the, the setup? Um, and then we were, you know, we had this insane thing happen 24 hours before we were supposed to film. Our lead actor got COVID and we had to recast. Whoa. Oh. Mariah? Yeah. Oh, so who you see, Sienna, we, Yoko and I got an 11.30 p.m. Zoom call with wow. her. And we read the script, and we were like, not only do we love you, you're our only option. <laughs> She's fucking incredible. Yeah. We lucked out. I Whoa. Mean, that's one of those great like, last-minute stories that like, really, you know, yeah. out of necessity, pulls something so unique out of a, out of a production. Oh, I think so, yeah. How did you work with her then? Well, not having the, the, the mm-hmm. maybe weeks of training with, with the director and stuff. I know. Well, we were we were very lucky in that she's an incredible stand-up comic. Nice. Um, kind of felt, it felt like the hand of the universe mm-hmm. was like, look, actually. <laughs> um, and we hadn't done any rehearsals, but Sienna is incredibly talented and embodied. And like is so, I, I was really impressed with her, uh, just kind of coming into set. So, you know, we she'd learned all her lines. We we did it uh, very much as written, but then between Kat and Mariah specifically, um, there was a lot of like ad libbing and filling that mm-hmm. space. So gotcha. all the lines they're saying, but all the other kind of party hubbub and mm-hmm. those little afterthoughts yeah. are all Sienna and all Lucy who who played Kat. They had great chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole supporting cast here is is like fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the main friend character is like so funny. Uh, this this film, you know what this is for me? I think of this like Shiva baby, but all these supporting characters are Rachel Senna. Yeah, you know, yeah. not the main. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it. You know, and, and they're all just kind of comical foils to her. She just wants to leave, and everybody keeps pulling her in, and they all have these little bits going on. Um, it's a fantastic ensemble. Yeah. So that you should be really proud of. It's a great ensemble. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. Something that I remember stood out to me, I don't know how intentional it was, because the scene goes on for a little bit, and I was wondering like, if there was a reason we were sitting in it so long. And it's when Kat is hurling in the bathtub, 
while uh, Mariah is kind of working through the events of the night. And I was like, oh, you have like a like word vomit and real vomit kind mm -hmm. of contrasted yeah. in, the, in the same scene, yeah. which I thought was 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 really cool. Um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 full of great uh, gags like that that mm -hmm. have that like are funny. And then there's mm -hmm. also a little bit of a double entendre going on. Yeah, we were like, if Kat gets to spew, Mariah gets to spew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Oh, and the other great moment is the uh, the whole eye contact conversation. Oh, so oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Really, that was really good. Yeah. For that, we were, because we hadn't written what the captions would be, because mm. in, the, in the script, it's just like, they, they talk about, like, whatever. Yeah. And, um, and so we had our actors there, and I was ad-libbing, the thoughts mm. so it's like baby you'll be fine like you're so <laughs> sexy like go in and like yeah, win her yeah. back um but yeah no thank you about the cast and i think that lucy who played cat specifically like i mean at the core of it it's also this like you know we all have that one friend that's like oh you thought the night was this way haha -ha. yeah. like she yeah. has potions she magically like appears and disappears <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like i wanted her to have this kind of like her derailment tactic mm -hmm. is like maybe a little bit of a witchy like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know you said that this isn't the kind of movie you usually make but after making it is do you want to make another film that is a similar tone do you want to make another comedy or do you want to go back to what you usually do well I am going back to what I usually do cool. which um, is drama no um uh but I had so much fun. I didn't know movies could really be that fun. Yeah. It was like, we all were just, we had our own party. Like yeah. the cast mm -hmm. and the crew, we were like, wait, we love this. Like mm -hmm. our ADs were also our extras. So everyone's like, yeah. it, like Ivan's our AD wearing oh, a skirt. Ivan Rome, <laughs> I saw him. And this is actually the most playful of the films that I've seen yeah. on the circuit so far. I mean, there's a, there's a match cut at one point where she oh, yeah. looks like she's about to headbang and then it cuts to her throwing up in the toilet. I mean, such so playful good. filmmaking. Yeah. 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 It really is a joy to yeah. watch. And Thank you. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes you need a break, right, from the type of stuff you usually do. I, I think of, you know, one of Dan and my favorites, Wong Kar Wai. Mm. There's this whole story about how he was making this epic kung fu, historical, like almost biblical movie. San, uh, ashes, ashes of Time. Mm. And he got tired of it. He was in the editing bay and he literally like picked up his camera, called his favorite actors, went out into the streets and just made like two movies that are total run and gun mm -hmm. approaches. Fallen Angels and Chunky Express. Hey, 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 buds. Let's, let's, let's get out of here. Yeah. And, and one of your, and one of your bun, buds is Tony Leung. Like yeah. you can just be like, hey, how, can you just, the greatest actor on the earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I think you know whatever you make next, I I, I imagine and mm -hmm. hope that uh, some of the the experience of uh, the fun aspects of making filmmaking, you know, um, making filmmaking is what I said. <laughs> filmmaking of right, making right, right. film, doing Serious. movie stuff. Wait, actually, let me just rescue you from that comment. Which is my question is: Was there anything that you like learned that you took away from this experience with doing comedy that you think like I'm definitely going to bring that aspect into my next like drama movie? That's a good question. 
Oh man, so many things. Um, I think twofold. One is definitely casting, um, a, a, a kind of on the ensemble. It was just like, okay, we're going to throw a party. So we auditioned so many people, but I was like, do you want to party? Like work, but like, you know, do, do you have it in your body to kind mm -hmm. of just be silly and relaxed? Yeah. Um, you know, like this is, we just want to keep that bouncy feeling. Mm -hmm. So I think that just like the, the casting and the soup you create, the actors on set, like their energy, um, needing to match the project so you know it'd be different for drama and yeah. I, but I definitely that and and also that like there were moments here that like in the bathroom scene when they're puking and she then tucks her hair behind her mm -hmm. ear and even outside on the deck we were like wait there these moments are actually really sweet too mm -hmm. so I think it was just like keeping creating good energy on set yeah, whatever that looks like people who like to laugh you want to make a comedy with yeah. them um you know and and so i think that that kind of it but vibe yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah. hate to say it what's vibe yeah what's the next thing you're working on um i'm working on my thesis film now okay. um called glitch baby okay and uh it's a coming of age story queer quantum coming of age story um okay. Yeah, it takes like a little bit of a surrealist twist at the end. Cool. Very different. It's a great era for it. Um, kind of, okay. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, this like young little tomboy, this like gender queer kid, um, has an encounter with basically her higher consciousness, mm. and um, but yeah, so cool. we'll see. Sounds oh. good. At the at the medium work, what we like to do is take a new movie and an old movie and put them together and see how they complement each other. So if you could take your movie and program it with another movie, what would it be? Oh God, now you're gonna learn that I don't know that many movies. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Neither do I. I'm trying to think. Um, there were so many references for this. Yeah. Booksmart, I think. Ah, oh, it's Great. a good one. Great. It's a yeah. really good one. Definitely the party scene, where yeah. they're on steady for most of the party scene. Yeah, we looked at that, and yeah. like, and how that affects the friendship. Mm -hmm. yeah. That yeah. bite is so good in Booksmart, oh. where they pull out the sound at the end of it. Yeah, That's probably yeah. one of the most succinct answers we've gotten yeah. uh, to, to our, our signature question. Mm -hmm. You know, usually people, like, they have to like, pull out their books. You're like, <laughs> 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 like, I only know five movies. Have you seen so Ben-Hur? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, that's, that's a good choice. I haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. It's a good time. It is a good time. Well, thank you so much for coming to speak to us. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, well, I should get the gun. It's going to be playing at Block H on Sunday, March 14th at 7 p.m. Um, so come out to see it. It's you place. should get going to come. So you definitely have to come out. It's the last block of Cuff. So before this movie, I'm sure, goes into the 15th and wins all these awards, please come and see it. Um, it's a really, really fun film. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Love you, Yoko. <laughs> this concludes the final entry in our Columbia University Film Festival interview series. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoy what you heard. There'll be more of these on our feed, so please check them all out and give these filmmakers the attention they deserve. Also, feel free to peruse our mainline episodes. There's always something to see inside the morgue. Leave a rate and review wherever you get the show. We greatly appreciate it. Till next time.